now listening to Right at the Fork. This is Chris Angelus, and we're happy to have you here with us. If you like the podcast, please share on Twitter and Facebook. You can find us on Twitter at Food Podcast PDX, and uh, of course at RightAtTheFork.com. If you want to communicate with me, I'm now at the suggestion of Heather and loving it on Instagram at Portland Food ADV, uh, and that's been kind of fun. What also was kind of fun was talking to uh, Michael Madigan of uh, four places that he's operating, and he just started in the food business in 2011, which I mentioned in this upcoming podcast is pretty amazing to me on how much one or two people can accomplish with a team, of course, uh, in that shorter period of time. He's built uh, Kitchen Crew, which is a fantastic in- incubation space and a uh, whole consulting firm down on Broadway. Um, and that is uh, that has hosted things from Holdfast Dinners to the development of Jacobson Salt, which he'll talk about a little bit, and um, Corkscrew, which he doesn't talk about on the podcast, which is a wonderful little wine shop that's attached to Kitchen Crew. Across the street, Bowery Bagels, which is uh, a fantastic little bagel, bagel shop that's selling both retail and wholesale. Uh, from the space that he he started about a year and a year year and a half ago, and uh, that also started in Kitchen Crew, incubating how to make bagels from his childhood in uh, in New York City, and he's brought them out to us here in Portland as well. He also started because he's a wine lover, Remedy Wine Bar, and this is a guy who back before 2010 was in the high tech industry, nothing to do with the food business, and in the short span of four years, less than four years, Michael Madigan has put himself square just in the center of our wonderful Portland food world, and there's no one better to talk to about a lot of what's going on here than Michael Madigan. Are you a Mac or a, a PC, PC person? Android. Pardon me? Android and PC. Yeah, same with me. Heather and I were just having that talk. It's funny. The, 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 it used to be just the Apple people were passionate. And now I think the Android, the Android PC people. I mean, I always used PCs going back to my, uh, my former career, but I was never passionate about Windows. But we run, I run four businesses on Android now. Right. It's, it's amazing. Well, that's that's rare because you usually I don't know you usually see those the iPads, and uh, and you're doing that at at Bowery, correct? You well, yeah. Our, our point of sale is an iPad-based system over there, but the whole back office runs on Android and cloud apps. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. So yesterday, I uh, I was in the I think they're a third day at Clutch, which I thought was a very interesting concept, and. Uh, and you were there too. Which I is, was there. We missed each other. Right. It's pretty cool that everybody makes their way over to there. I was uh, in uncharted ta- territory, not only in terms of the food, but um, also geographically. I don't think I've ever taken Barnes Road and gone on the north side of Sunset Highway. Well, right I mean, up until a year ago, unless you were a farmer, there was no reason to. I mean, when I pulled up Google Maps to see where I had to go, and when I did the street view, it was an empty field. So, oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a lot over there now. We were, our uh, navigation took us to a condo instead of his actual spot. 
but there were a ton of condos. It was immediately apparent why he's there. Yeah, and that big market of choice is the anchor tenant in that mall, which is nice. And I like market of choice. I didn't know that that was over there. But what he's doing is really interesting, and it's really interesting that he's outside of Portland. He has a little more explanation to do with the type of food that he's serving outside of Portland. A little bit of education for uh, for some of the folks there, but, you know, I think the food is good enough that once people try it, I think they'll like it a lot. I mean, we were talking about it, you know, three out of the four uh, sausages that I tried, I thought didn't need a darn thing, and one of them just needed a little tweak. And he's so. in day four, so and he's... Yeah, exactly. He, and he spent a lot of time on it, and he's a... You can tell a meticulous, passionate guy. He's been thinking. I've known Ken since he moved to Portland. Before they opened Riffle, they did all their menu development at Kitchen Crew. And so he came. Uh, he's been working on this concept for over a year and bringing us samples to try and things like oh, that. Oh, really? He's really? So, yeah, he's put a lot of thought into these sausages and the recipes and how to present them. Yeah, and I never, when I saw he was first talking about or working on it and you first heard Clutch, I didn't know what he was going to do to make sausages that interesting but it's a really cool concept it's Mm -hmm. your favorite foods in a in a bun who doesn't like meat in a tube you know yeah but but it's more than meat in a tube it's you know different dishes pad thai and it's uh so anyway but he started he told me last night that you were one of the first guys he knew when he came to Portland because that's you just said he showed up at, and he did some pop up dinners too. He did he did the menu development and he did pop up dinners to refine the menu. Um, he did investor dinners. I mean it was really fun. Uh, Riffle Northwest, which was the restaurant, was the first uh, that was the first client that we had in who did those kinds of things and it kind of taught us how to do it. So we've had a you know a number of them come in subsequently, but he was the first. I mean. Well, well, you know, what struck me at looking at a uh, little information on you, and I didn't know this, you haven't been doing what you've been doing really long. You've put, you've packed a lot of success into a short period of time. 2011? Yeah, Kitchen we started, started Kitchen Crew. March will be four years that we opened. That's incredible. Yeah. So not only have you done Kitchen Crew, Bowery Bagels, you've done Corkscrew, and you've got Remedy. Mm-hmm. That's a lot to pack in. You don't have kids, right? Don't have kids. That's why. Yeah, that's. <laughs> those, those are your kids. Because I was. It I feels was, like it. I was coming up on the elevator thinking about that, and I thought, how do you do? I mean, I, I haven't done anywhere near that, and it's not. And I have older kids, but, and so I thought, how do you do that much in four years? Not, not even three, yeah, really. Yeah. I get bored easily. Wow. Uh, but no, really, the whole thing that ties it together is kitchen crew. I mean, once we built out that kitchen. It became a matter of how do we, you know, what can we do to use it? You know, we've got this great facility and we're supporting our kitchen crew clients there, but are there certain projects that we can do? So, for instance, Bowery, you probably remember this, started as a pop-up at a kitchen crew. Mm-hmm. We just rolled up the doors one day and had 180 bagels and people showed up. I remember it well. I yeah. remember showing up and, yeah. and enjoying those bagels and hearing about it and there were lines. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. you had to get them before they were out. The first weekend, we did 180, and they were gone in 20 minutes. The next weekend, we did 360. They were gone in about a half an hour. We eventually settled into doing between five and 600, and they would last about two hours. And then how many bagels are you serving a day now at, at Bowery? Uh, we serve, depending on the day of the week, anywhere from four to 600, mm-hmm. but, but we are You're averaging wholesale. over 3,000 a night out of the bakery, seven wow. days a week. That's, yeah. that's unbelievable. Yeah. So I want to get back to Bowery because it's one of my favorite spots, and I always... Stop in to grab a dozen, Baker's dozen. Mm-hmm. 13th always has a little sandwich smear on it. That's good. And um, But I wanted to find out how you went from tech to a business like Kitchen Crew 
what the thinking was, what you learned? Because you've been in Portland for almost uh, for a long time. 28 years this yeah, year. Yeah, almost 30 years. So for a large part of those, you weren't in the food business. Technology. Right. And when did you, what was the, the moment where you may have said to Lynn or she said to you or you both said together, um, you know, hey, this is this would be an interesting direction. What was it? It, it was, you know, after I, after 26 years in tech, I left to take some time off. I worked out, I actually built a home out in Long Beach. And when I say built, I mean, I went out there for a year and swung a hammer. So it was kind of a nice little, I, I call it my sabbatical. Lynn calls it, you know, something else. But What uh, does she call it? She calls it my selfish vacation sometimes. <laughs> I mean, was, but um, but, I, but I, what I really wanted to do was take some time and figure out what would be next. I mean, you know, I, I was I had just spent 26 years in that business, uh, you know, started at IBM, left, started my own company, uh, you know, very entrepreneurial, uh, you know, did some, bought some companies, sold some companies, that kind of thing. So I wanted to take a year off and figure out what I could do for the next 25 years because, you know, five years ago I was only 45 and, you know, Still had plenty of years left to want to do things, but just not in that industry. So the first thing I thought I was going to do was get engaged in uh, clean energy because that, you know, up and coming, it was something that you could make, still make a difference in. But um, just for a variety of reasons, that didn't work out. So I started thinking, you know, th the most fun I had is when I was in startup mode. So I wanted to go back and you know, I said, let me figure out a way to get back and, and get into a startup uh, situation. And I, I said, you know, the happiest I am is when I combine what I'm good at with what I love. And, you know, if I'm good at business, always loved food and wine. I mean, it was always an you know, important part of my life growing up and moved here to Oregon in 87, which was just, you know, when the curve started with, you know, the wine industry, the, you know, what was going on, you know, with restaurants and food and agriculture out here. So I said, all right, I need to figure out a way to combine this with... Um, with something in food and wine, but I had promised Lynn I would never open a restaurant, so that was not a path that was uh, mm -hmm. that was open to me. And she's very smart, and I listen to her when she says things like that. And um, it just so happened that out in Long Beach, when I was working on the house, there were a few few businesses out there, food businesses that I just got to know the owners and did a little consulting for, and everything from menu planning to teaching wine pairing courses to you know some business reviews and. You know, that kind of opened my eyes to the fact that there are a lot of very talented, passionate people in the food world who really don't have the ability or the know-how to turn those, that passion and those ideas into a viable business. So how do you take that and monetize it? And so that was kind of started me down the path to what eventually became Kitchen Crew. And there are so many people on that path that you wanted to advise in Portland. I mean, how many, how many people every year are saying, hey, I have this great I can do this, and they open a food cart, or they're start they they're doing what they're uh, working on in kitchen crew. Yeah. They're a zillion. So we the have opportunity. Yeah, I mean, at any point in time, we've got thirty five active clients at kitchen crew. Um, we can handle about nine concurrently in the kitchen, but we've got between thirty five and forty who are in there doing their work on a regular basis. Uh, and there's probably more out there that you know we just can't get to, or they're somewhere else, or they don't know about us, or we don't have room for. Yeah, well, that's that's a good position to be in. So when you started it, were you very connected in the food world? Like uh, you know, Ken came from New York. How did he find you, and how did everybody else find you right off the bat? Um, how did Ken find us? I think Ken's Ken's PR firm might have known about us. I'm, I'm trying to remember. It might, he might have come to us through his PR firm. Um, what I did is I went and talked to a bunch of people. I mean, I went to farmers markets, I went to, uh, fairs, I went to, I, you know, I, I would, you know, look at food labels at new seasons and, you know, figure out, you know, Hey, I need to get in touch with these folks. 
So I basically spent about four months, um, the summer of 2010, doing the market research, uh, introducing myself to people saying, hey, I'm thinking of doing this. What kind of equipment would you need? How would it have to work? What would make it you know, valuable to you? And um, put all that together, drew together a requirements checklist, an equipment list, and then started looking for space. Um, found the space, uh, moved in in November. We started construction uh, the end of November, and then we were open for business in March. So, and uh, you know, and, and everyone I talked to said, "Great idea," and I said, "Cool. Well, why don't you sign up?" And they said, well, "Why don't you call us when you actually have a kitchen?" Because mm-hmm. uh, I guess that there's a lot of uh, a lot of you know people who have great ideas and they never you know kind of come to fruition. So we opened the doors in March of 2011, and uh, we had our first clients in there. Uh, within the first couple of weeks, and then by June, when the farmers market season hit, we were we were full. It was kind of fun. Oh, that didn't take long. No. So why don't you describe Kitchen Crew because there's nothing like it I've ever seen. And just talking about it, for those people who've been there, they've seen it, but there are a lot of people that haven't. So Kitchen Crew is what I call a culinary incubator. And uh, when I coined that term five years ago, there weren't any of any other ones out there, and now there are a number of them, which is good. Um, but basically, it's a four thousand square foot commercial kitchen. Which, which has all the equipment, space, facilities that a startup food business would need to get off the ground. I mean, what I tell people is bring your knives and you're ready to go. We have everything that a pastry company would need. Uh, we, you know, jams, jellies, caterers. Uh, Jacobs and Sea Salt started there, which was kind of fun. We had to help devise a process for him to go from doing five gallons at a time to 500. Uh, and how many is he doing now? I don't even know how it would yeah. be measured in gallons now, uh, <laughs> but boy, he's he's filling warehouses now. He's got yeah. a warehouse that's bigger than my kitchen. So yeah, you can measure it in oceans. Yeah, now. exactly, exactly. So uh, you know, it, it was just at first it was a lot of talking to people and saying, "Hey, you know, we've got this facility. Come on in." Um, I got to know Erin uh, over at Eater, and she was very helpful in getting the word out uh, into the community uh, four years ago. And, you know, that was it. So the first year, it was kind of interesting. We filled it up for the summer. And then, you know, in October, somebody turned a switch. And all of a sudden, it was like, well, where'd everybody go? So we realized we have to go out and find some clients who are more year-round than just farmer's market-centric. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what we did. And it's been pretty steady ever since. Uh, it's still somewhat cyclical because, uh, you know, we had built into the pl- – the whole idea is we combined the facility with some business development consulting. So I spend time with the customers. We put together – I will help them build their business plan. I'll help them with sales and marketing, with brand development. And that's not just me. We put together this kind of loose referral network of people who we know, we trust. We know they'll do good work. They have some food specialty. Uh, they understand startup business, so they're not looking to charge a lot of money right out of the gate. And so we really want to provide more than just the kitchen, but you know, break down all the barriers to entry that a startup business has so that the, the, the entrepreneur can just focus on, you know, getting the product created and out the door. It's not only product, though. It's also, as you said, riffle, you know, develop mm-hmm. menus there. And, mm-hmm. of course, hold fast. Uh, yeah. You know, really. Our latest uh, alumnus. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they're an alumnus now. But they're, I, went to, uh, I went to a dinner there. So you've got a, a, uh, you've got a counter of a chef's, about 12, bar. chef's yeah. bar with 12 seats. And then you've got another dining room, dining table over there mm-hmm. uh, on the as you walk into the facility, depending on where you're walking in, you've mm-hmm. got a couple of places you can walk in. And, um, and so he's your latest al- alumnus. Yeah, he, he and uh, Will Price and Joel Stocks, they did 189 they, dinners. They, 100, I'm not yeah. used to saying that. I know. They did 189 dinners at Kitchen Crew over a 16-month period. So 
even they stopped calling it a pop-up and started calling it an underground restaurant. Yeah, no, cool. I think that's what that when that happened, everybody was wondering, is that really a pop-up when it's going on all the time at right. the same place? And they're no longer a pop-up. They can't be called a pop-up any longer. Well, they're, I don't even know if they're underground now that they have their own facility over there. Yeah, no, it's not. Um, a, it's, it's a restaurant. Yeah. So um, did you, when you first uh, started working with them, did you see how popular it was going to be before it became popular? Because in the beginning, they weren't really, you know, he, he wasn't. It was before Joel was there. Yeah. He wasn't really filling it up. Uh, well, right it wasn't filling bat. it up. It wasn't filling it up as many. They started doing um, one night and then two nights a week and eventually three. Um, you know, I knew that the food was special, mm -hmm. um, but I didn't know that it was going to take off the way that it, I mean, I just, you know, I don't, I don't even know if Will frankly saw, thought that it might when he started. Um, but, uh, you know, the food is terrific. Joel joined him and it took just a quantum step forward in a lot of ways. And then he got some really great publicity from Karen Brooks and some other folks. And then, you know, next thing you know, the restaurant of the year is being run out of kitchen crew, which was, you know, kind of cool. That's going to make you feel pretty good. Yeah, yeah. And you've had, so, so what are some of the other uh, products that we all may know about or we will know about, we don't know about yet, that are okay. pretty exciting? I mean, the ones that, you know, probably are most recognizable and have had the biggest success. I, met, I mentioned Ben Jacobson and Jacobson Sea Salt. Um, we had salt and straw in for a blink of an eye, and truly it was the blink of an eye. They never actually did production there, but they did some flavor development with us. Uh, Petunia's Pies and Pastries, which I think is the, you know, mm -hmm. some of the best vegan and gluten-free uh, product around. Tails and Trotters was with us for two years before mm -hmm. they opened their space. Um, uh, Brazy Bites, I don't know if you're familiar with Brazy Bites, mm -hmm. but that is a terrific product. And they're national now. They're really big time. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, we've had, you know, we've had about 15 or 16 Holdfast, we mentioned, who have, who started there and went on to, you know, do their own brick and mortar uh, thing, which is kind of cool. Um, are the, there any there now that we will hear about that you're really impressed with? I think there are a couple that are poised to really take off and because they're so unique and so and really the products are great. Uh, one is Elliot's Adult Nut Butters. I don't yeah. know if you've had a chance oh, yeah, to I've try had those a, yet or not. He's out there, and I've, and I've uh, bought a jar or two from Bowery. Yeah, so. yeah. It's, uh, we, every once in a while, we do a sandwich that features uh, some of that product, and uh, we've got one coming up for a Lunar New Year that's going to be a lemongrass chicken with his spicy Thai uh, peanut butter, which is really good. Um, we've got Dreamboat Coconut Yogurt in. Uh, it's a coconut milk-based vegan uh, yogurt product, fully fermented, probiotic, really delicious. I eat yogurt every day, and mm -hmm. I think it's, it's, it's really that good um, that, you know, I could definitely substitute that for regular yogurt. Um, I don't know if I should say regular, not full dairy. Well, what were you, you yeah. know, I grew up, I remember, this is long ago, having dandin yogurt and everybody thought you know i was the only kid who ate that because i don't know why my mom and and it was a diet food then it was yeah, it was yeah. like cottage cheese or yogurt yeah. one of the two i i ate probably almost every day for five years my breakfast included a cup of dandin coffee flavored yogurt and i don't think they make that flavor anymore but that to me is still the best yogurt you know best flavor yeah, I've ever had. Like the fruit on the bottom yeah, and the strawberry, yeah. that, that was fantastic. So that that begs the question, you know, I was having a conversation with someone uh, last night back east, and you're from back east, mm -hmm. who told me they just had the best shrimp scampi that they've had in a long time. And I thought, where in Portland can you get shrimp scampi? And then it led me to think that there we have this whole, you know, looking at the menu from um, the 26 course Chef's Week 
uh, dinner the other night. If you showed that to most people in the country, they would think they think it was a joke. Uh, not a joke, but they wouldn't understand yeah. anything. It was it would be a joke to them. Like what is I, on twenty five of these twenty six dishes? I can't tell you what everything what it's going to be. Yeah, right. Exactly. What it's going to taste like. Do you think that? Uh, I mean, what do you think about that? I start thinking that. Gee, we're you know there are some places that do comfort food that I grew up with, but you can't find a lot of dishes out here. A lot of places that serve the the you know the food that I got at Mario's in Westport, Connecticut, yeah, that I mean, kind of thing. You know, we're both. I'm from New York, you know, as well, and and it's a it's a different cuisine. And when I first came out here, I missed it, and I and I would just start you know I'd look for it. And when I couldn't find it, I would just do it myself. And it's funny you mentioned shrimp scampi. I probably make that once a month at home. Okay, uh, but you but would you, if someone came here and said, "Where can I get a good shrimp scampi?" You'd have question marks with all the restaurants and chefs. Yeah, I I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know where to send somebody to get that. And, yeah, and you know it's uh, you know it's interesting. I'm running in my mind. I I'm, I just ran through a card deck of chefs saying. I would love to do something that says, hey, I want to get these five chefs together and get their take on a shrimp scampi. I mean, it would be kind of cool, you know, and you'd, you'd get five very different dishes from them. And it would not be the one that you and remember. it still wouldn't be the one it. from Mario's in Westport. <laughs> exactly. It just wouldn't be close. They wouldn't use that much butter. I, I threw out there the other day uh, on Instagram a picture of a white clam pizza from Modern, and I said, with all the new pizza places here, mm-hmm. um, can anybody do this? There are lines out the door in a city in you know New Haven, mm-hmm. where there are a lot of pizza places. I mean, just mm-hmm. they don't stop. For this one pizza, there yep. are lines out the door. Yet we have all these people here. Obviously, there's demand. People love it. We have all these new pizza places. And no, and I know the clams are different. It's a different, you know, here we have manila clams. But would anybody make it? And I, and I tagged a lot of pizza places. I got not one response. Yeah, I, you know, I may, again, that's one of those things I just make at home because I like it. You know, a pizza makes the uh, Clams Casino pizza, which isn't the same as a white clam No, pizza, it's got but, shells. That's what yeah, I put on my yeah, post. Just something yeah, without the shells. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen one. I haven't seen one. But uh, I'm actually getting together with uh, Tommy Habits, who you know is getting ready to open yeah, new pizza. Yeah, there's another one. And, and, and I uh, talked to him about it, and I, you know, recommended when he, he did his his pizza tour in yep. the East Coast, and he did, I know he went to either yep. Pepe's or Modern, one of the two, so they had to well, sink in. we're going to be making some pizzas at Kitchen Crew, and I'm going to make a white clam pizza, so hopefully I can make one good enough that'll uh Can that'll, I get an uh, invite to that? Them. I would really appreciate it. It's not my event, but I'll work on it for you. Okay. Well, somehow, yeah. some way. Yeah. Actually, I did have one at Pronto Pizza. They heard me whining about it online, and they invited me out and uh, in, uh, in Clackamas. Mm-hmm. And that was very good. Oh, good. But it's not, they're not serving it every single night. But uh, at any rate, but that, I, I guess the point there is not so much, you know, East, but you're from the East Coast. Um, does everything here have to be, is it a chef thinking of something crazy? Uh, and I don't mean to word that, I know that's politically incorrect to say the word crazy, but just off the wall, not this, you know, going back to basic recipes that we remember. I think that the restaurant industry in Portland is so full of talent and people who are doing it on their own and bootstrapping it uh, that you've got a very chef-driven culture here. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's a bad thing. You know, I, I like the classics and there's a place for the classics and not enough people maybe are doing it. But I'm not sure that we would have the restaurant culture here that we do if people focused on that. No, and I don't expect that anybody would focus on that for their whole menu, mm-hmm. but have an item or two that, you know, you yeah. recommend, recognize from, you know, John Gorham 
did that yeah. with Tasty and Sons. He said, listen, let me go back and serve some of the things I remember as a kid. He happened to be from Virginia, you know, the Chesapeake area. Yeah. He didn't happen to be from where I come came mm-hmm. from. Now that, you know, that leads me to Bowery Bagels. You mm-hmm. know, I remember lots of amazing bagels at the Jewish delis in, in Westport, Connecticut, Gold's and and Oscars, and then learning about H and H in New York City. Mm-hmm. What were your inspirations for for uh, Bowery? Because they're I, they're great bagels. Thank I, you very much. I mean, I you know I grew up in Brooklyn and Queens, and went to high school in Manhattan, and I tried bagels all over the city, and there are a lot of good ones. But but my Ur bagel, right, the one that I you know my taste memory led me to when we when I developed the Bowery recipe, was from a German bakery in Ridgewood, Brooklyn, called Glendale Bakery. Um, a German one. You yeah. didn't expect yeah, that. Yeah, I know. But they made a terrific bagel. We used to walk home. I, I went to uh, uh, Catholic school, and we'd walk home from church on Sunday, and we'd stop at Glendale Bakers, and we would get a dozen bagels to take home and have for lunch. And uh, they were they were terrific, and they were the ones I grew up on, and they were the ones I remember. And I think, you know, you were talking about pizza. I think bagels are very much like pizza. I think people's what people enjoy in a bagel or pizza is very much informed by the one they grew up eating, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that happens to be the, you know, Glendale Bakers was, uh, was the one that, uh, I remember. Are they still open? Uh, I think they used to have three stores and I think they're down to one now. Have you brought them one of your, some I, of your I have bagels? Not. I haven't had a chance to, I mean, part of the, I haven't been to the neighborhood for a long time for probably 15 years, certainly since I've been making bagels, which is less than three. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't, you know, we don't have any additives or preservatives in them. They don't travel well. I mean, I ship, when people say, please, please, please ship me a bagel, I'll ship it. And you have to overnight it and pretty much eat it within, you know, a few hours of getting it. But because right. it's just, the you second, know, after the, a day, the second day, the bagels the are hard. Yeah. And you you gave me a little hint, which has been great, because I put them in the freezer all the time. Mm-hmm. Slice them and put them in, sur- in uh, saran yep. wrap before you yep. put them in the freezer and they're ready to go. Yep. But so, but your bagels and what you serve goes back to the discussion we were just having because you do satisfy the the old time before there were you know Ashago bagels and whatever else you're doing over there because you always have some really interesting ones you know what does that taste like and that that's part of the the allure is what does that taste like I know what a plain mm -hmm. bagel tastes like and a sesame bagel but you're satisfying both sides of it. Yeah, and you know it's funny because my the, the folks at the bakery laugh at me sometimes because they're you know I don't want to do like a berry French toast bagel and so you see these crazy flavors around town which people are selling which is great, and I won't do those but I'll do things like a salted jalapeno bagel or a or a, you know the the, uh, the miso soy ginger bagel and things like that and they're like well how can you do those and not you know, a those are French chef's toast bagels. bagel. Those are chef's well, bagels. Well, that's a part of it, but really what I try to do is approach and say okay. The bagels we all grew up eating and that most people know and the toppings that go on them and the fillings that go in the sandwiches, it was all about the immigrant experience in the late 19th and early 20th century. It was, it was Jewish immigrants coming from Poland and Russia and Ukraine and all these places who brought, that, brought the bagel. They took the ingredients that they found in the Lower East Side of Manhattan and said, okay, let's, let's use poppy seeds as a topping or let's do this or let's do that, um, you know, trying to get as close to what they could in the old country. What I tried to do with Bowery is say, okay, I want to say, what if an immigrant came to Portland in 2010? What are some of the ingredients they would find and what are some of the bagels that they would make? They might make a berry French toast bagel, but I think it's more likely that they would make a bagel that had, you know, the, an Asian immigrant would find something to do with miso and soy sauce and fresh ginger. Or, or a Latin American immigrant would find something interesting to do with, you know, chilies. So, so what's, mo- what's most well-received? The, 
the plain and the salt. Although the salt, are, I don't remember salt bagels. They're delicious. Or some of the, the, you know, the miso salt, which... the Well, you know, everybody has their favorite. It's funny. If we take some out of rotation, we get complaints. Of course. Um, our top-selling bagel, far and away, is our everything bagel, mm-hmm. um, which really surprises me because I'm not an everything bagel guy. But no. we have, I mean, I think we've built a better mousetrap with it in terms of what the <laughs> toppings are. You're the everything? I'm the everything bagel guy. All right. <laughs> it, that, yeah, that's our number one seller. Um, the that's thing, surprising because on the right side of that cat, on the... Of the case are the planes. It mm-hmm. seems like there are more of those, but I just haven't well, looked. Well, there's the shop, a, and then there's wholesale. Heather, yeah. we'll have to go in so we can balance out our purchase because right. I'm on the right side yeah. of the case. I mean, the the you know, there's what we what we sell at the shop, which I said is you know 400 to 600 a day, mm-hmm. but the other 2,500 are going out to coffee shops and cafeterias and restaurants and hotels, and and like I said, everything is the it's the runaway number one, followed by plane. I think would be number two. But, you know, my favorites are very much the classics, the sea salt, the poppy seed, and the pumpernickel are the mm-hmm. ones I'll, you know, I love them all, but those are the ones that I'll, when I'm eating a bagel, and I eat a lot less bagels than I used to, there's a, there's a limit to how many bagels you can have. So where can you get the best locks in, uh, in Portland? And, and I'll give you this disclaimer that you might forget. I put you on the spot. So, uh, but I, uh, you know, I like the, um, I, I get at Whole Foods, the, oh, I can never remember the name. Sorry, I even brought it mm-hmm. up. Um, but there's there's some there that's from Seattle. That's amazing. That's the same one. Uh, Chef's Warehouse, which used to be Provista, distributes that one. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember the name of it either. It's kind of a French sounding pu- name. I'll put it out there, That yes. is the best locks that's available in yeah. Portland, I think. I'm not, you know. Um, I'll come up with it either in a second or tomorrow. In which mm-hmm. case, we'll put it on when mm-hmm. we when we do this. But um, we're we're you know we make our own gravlocks for the shop, which isn't the same, but it's it's nice fish, and I like that we do it. Um, uh, Carrie and Janie will yell at me, but I'll I'll say it here. I'm actually toying with the idea of a Russ and Daughters kind of a thing to expand Bowery into doing high quality cured fish, because nobody is doing it out mm-hmm. there really. So yeah, the the stuff that you saw sliced yeah, in exactly. your neighborhood. Yeah. That's, you that's know, hard locks, to find. Nova Lox, sturgeon, sablefish, you know, herring, the whole deal. Oh, that'll be fantastic. Yeah. So what's interesting is you were consulting, you, you you do, or you have been consulting people how to build a business, and then you built Bowery. Mm-hmm. And so what have you learned at Bowery that you didn't know before that now you can apply to helping people open their own business? The first thing I learned is how much I didn't know. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's, 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 you know, it's fascinating in, in any business, whether, you know, when I was in high tech or now doing this, you can't, unless you've been through it, you can't predict every eventuality. And, um, you know, the thing I learned about Bowery is, and this is something I've been able to directly apply to my other clients as they grow, is that once you get to a certain size, you're a, you're a culinary business, but it's, but really you're a manufacturer and you have to change your mindset from, I'm running a food business, which you are, but really what you're doing is running a manufacturing plant and the product is the food. Um, now, the key is not to lose sight of the fact that the food has to stay excellent because it's always about the food because if it's not excellent, you're going to lose your customers and people are going to stop wanting to, to, to find Especially you. Especially in this town. Especially in this town because right. there's so many good options. So, right. the minute the, so what I always tell my clients is, look, the quality of the product is paramount, but really you need to change your mindset from being a... A, a, you know, a chef or a cook to being a manufacturing company because you have to worry about supply chain. We're getting 6,000 pounds of flour delivered every week now. 
Um, you know, we're delivering, I've got two soon to be three vans and we're delivering to 110 locations every morning between 4 a.m. and 7 a.m. I mean, it's, it's a different and, 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 and all the things that go along with that, you know, 20 employees and all these things that happen, but you can't let that get in the way of producing that excellent product. And we've actually artificially constrained our growth over the last year to make sure that as we grew, we didn't, you know, take a misstep on the product quality. And is that one of the things that you see, uh, one of the main mistakes people make in starting a food business? Maybe they move too fast. What are the things that, that cause them from succeeding? Moving too fast is one of them without having a plan, um, because then what you usually end up with is you're, you're undercapitalized um, or you miss something that is going to come back and bite you. And I, you know, we miss something at Bowery. I mean, no one's immune to it. Um, we built out the bakery, and the idea was I want to build a bakery that can manufacture, you know, we can produce a certain number of bagels every night, and we did that. And everything is going great, and we're managing the quality, and then all of a sudden we reached a certain point, point. it was like, wow, we have to get these cut bagels to the customer. And it's not, like I said, it's not like we can deliver at any time during the day. Right. You know, it has to be before 7 a.m. And because of the nature of the product, I don't want to bake them at noon the day before so they're ready. So we, st- we don't start baking our product until 11.30, 12 a.m., and everything starts going out the door at about 2.30 a.m. Uh, and we're done by 7 and the trucks are back in the in the parking lot. So, um, I, And that I, wasn't something you anticipated, that deadline? Well, I anticipated the deadline, but I didn't anticipate how difficult it was going to be to get everything in before the deadline. Um, you know, it was just, well, we'll figure out a way to get them there. But it, when you really start plotting out, all of a sudden, and the tipping point was at about 60 locations. And you start saying, okay, now I've got two vans, 60 locations. Everything has to be done within a certain period of time. Some of the clients, many of the clients, you know, give us keys and codes to get in, but a lot don't. So then you have to figure in that, okay, this person, we have to wait for their receiving, or this location, we have to wait for their receiving person to come in. They're not there till 530, so we have to put them there on the route. I mean, there's just a lot of variables, and that's been the... That's probably been the, the trickiest thing to manage has been the, the delivery logistics. And then sales, because mm-hmm. I always... You know, I'll drive down the road and I'll see big trucks from different coffee roasters, and I and I marvel at how much business they must have to, you know, to be able just to just afford that truck mm-hmm. and the driver and mm-hmm. the benefits, and then mm-hmm. the second and the third one. Yeah, that's a lot of business that needs to be done. Mm-hmm. So, in growing sales uh, or retailers. What's that process all about? Is that finding one great person in Portland? Do you get a lot of great word of mouth and that helps you? How does that? It started with the word of mouth and we still have a good, we have a strong brand and people know it's a good product. Um, for us, the you know, the, the, what retailers love is reliability and credibility. So, you know, like I said, we're delivering seven days a week and we've never missed a delivery in going on, you know, two and a half years now, even when the weather is bad, right? So, um they love the product. You need to give them a price to where they can market up and make some money. Remember, this is something we're talking about. It sells for a buck and a half. And so in that dollar and, and a half, the retailer needs to make money. And, you know, we hopefully have to make some money. Mm-hmm. So, and it sells for a dollar and a half in your place, too. Yeah, exactly. So that's buy them. Go down to Biori Bagels. And if you want your bagels, take, direct to consumer n- is always good. <laughs> right, right. Um, it's but, nice. But, and the coffee's yeah. great there, too. Right. Thank you. Yeah. Stumptown. They, right. We love Stumptown. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they. Um, you know, but but like I said, I can sell 600 a day at a shop at the shop, but right. I'm selling 2,500 more a day, you know, wholesale. So there's a, and that's another thing. You know, we coach a lot of our kitchen crew clients through, which I've had to work through. Is all right, what's the balance? Does it make sense to go wholesale, or do you always want to go direct to consumer? 
or is there you know is there a mix that's that's right and what did you know before you where did you derive your knowledge before you started bowery to advise people in in this particular area i learned that in high tech because when i left ibm i started what's called a value-added reseller which buys hardware and software from other companies and put, puts it together with custom consulting custom software and then resells it and that's you know in the tech world that's called uh, channel sales so you have different routes to market in different channels and so I had done quite a bit of analysis, of, uh, you know, in the tech world of different routes to market, you know, direct to customer, reselling, wholesaling, things like that. So I was able to apply some of those concepts. But, you know, I really, in the food world, I learned that on, uh, you know, through, through working with a few of our customers. Uh, Brazy Bites was one of them. Uh, Northwest Elixirs kind of went through the same. Uh, the, you know, anyone who's manufacturing a product reaches a point where it's like, okay, you know, there's a couple of decisions to make. Do I continue making it myself or go to a co-packer? Do I go through distribution or continue with direct sales? And those all carry financial implications with them. So we went through the same process with Bowery. You know a lot of stuff. Where'd you go to school? Uh, I went to college in a very small school that's under six feet of snow in Maine right now called Colby College. Oh, I have, uh, I have, a, uh, I know a few people have gone to Colby College. All right. Um, well, Heather's waving at us. Okay. okay, I hadn't looked. Um, Boy, it's going. It's going. Uh, you're, I'm enjoying this conversation. Yeah, it doesn't too. feel like it was. We're coming to an end okay. here shortly. But my degrees in foreign languages, of all things, and I went from there to IBM, and then from IBM over. What you know, foreign to languages? Uh, Spanish. I lived in Mexico. I went to school in Mexico for six months, and Spain for a year. So do you speak? How's your Spanish? Thirty years later, pretty good. I have yeah. some vocabulary issues, but you know, I can still communicate you know if I go to a Spanish speaking area like I've been to Argentina a few times since and Mexico and whatnot it usually comes back after two or three days oh good yeah. I took you know every bit of foreign language I took in in high school and college uh, it, it felt like it did well you have to go there and, and use it mm -hmm. practically a lot and mm -hmm. I haven't so uh, the French is gone the, I'd like to know the Spanish and I remember a little bit. I study French for a year and all I have left is the menu French which is frankly that's okay, right but, <laughs> but yeah, but you don't need it much out here. There isn't yeah, a lot. You don't yeah. see a lot of so a lot of French. So, um, what what's next for? You're not going to stop where you are. What's what's on the horizon that well, you can talk about that you're comfortable? I with? have. Uh, Lynn has declared a moratorium on new businesses. Four is enough, she says. And it sounds like she's the ruling. You you list everything that you've mentioned it a couple of times when Lynn. Says something, Michael listens. She's a, you know, she's a smart lady, and uh, you don't get to being married for 27 years if there's not a little bit of, uh, you know, mutual respect there. And I very much, she was very generous in allowing me to make this career change while she was still working at OHSU and mm -hmm. kind of supported me through that. And so, uh, you know, I, uh, it's the least I can do is, uh, is give her some leeway in these decisions. But, you know, we're looking, uh, um, I've, I've got some partners we're talking with about doing kind of a next level uh, kitchen crew for maybe the next size business up. Mm -hmm. um, and there should be some news on that hopefully within the next 60 days or so. Uh, we're, we're working on uh, securing some a facility for that. Oh, cool. Um, I'm probably going to need to expand the uh, the Bowery Bakery. We're only we're, we're crammed in 1,800 square feet right now, and I need to expand that. 
So um, we're, we're either going to do that on site or, again, looking at some facilities uh, in Central East Side, which is, seems to be where everyone who does food is going these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with a good reason, it's kind of becoming a nice critical mass over there. I, I, that's so impressive that you started less than four years ago and now you're doing that. I don't know. There are many businesses out there that could say they've done as much as you have. Oh, I mean, there are a lot that are out there. They, they just, you know, it's um, like I said, Portland is a great DIY town. And, you know, they're there. And then everybody's there to help you with information yeah. and contacts. It's very cooperative, which is one of the things that makes Kitchen Crew work. I mean, there are cities, New York, I don't know that Kitchen Crew works because everyone is so right. territorial. Yeah, no, I, that's that's what the beauty is, is that everybody wants to support everyone mm-hmm. else. So uh, that's a, quite a long time together. How did you and Lynn meet? Uh, through a mutual friend. I was working for IBM in the D.C. DC area at the time, and the person I shared a cubicle with was her college roommate uh, when they were when she was in college. So we, we got introduced at a New Year's Eve party, so it's very easy to remember when we met. Oh, nice. Uh, and then we got engaged four months later. Fantastic. And, then IBM and you moved. always look so happy together. Whenever I see you, well, also I'm seeing you where you have wine in your hand. Yeah, well, for her it's probably food. an act. You know, for me it's... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, did she have? Did she take acting lessons uh, at any point? <laughs> Not that I'm aware of. Um, so where do you, where have you? Uh, we always ask this because mm-hmm. we like to, and you're certainly connected. You have you know almost everybody. Where have you been enjoying lately? That's uh, that's either n- fresh and new to you, or going some of the to the places that you know don't that aren't in the news but are amazing because they've been here a long time. Well. You know, it's, it's interesting, and I'm going to start. This isn't what I thought I would answer this question with until you said they're amazing, but they've been here a long time. I worked in this building, the PacWest Center, for six years when I was with IBM, and I was on the 10th floor, and I watched Higgins get built out, and I went there the first day they were open. Oh. And I think that today they are just as spectacular as they were the day they opened back in the 90s. And so if I were to look when at a was Portland that in restaurant, the 90s? We're- oh, I want to say 90. Two or ninety-three ish. So they he was before they were before Paley's then. Yeah, yeah. Okay, they preceded yeah. Paley. Yeah. So I mean, I'd say that's probably the place that when when I, you know that's you know classic Portland, Greg Higgins. You know that place has, has continued to be terrific. Um, if I have people in from out of town and they've got one night to eat out, I take them to Aviary. I mean, I you know that food is always fantastic, mm-hmm. always surprising, which I like, and it's really not classifiable. People say, well, what's it like? Well. No, it's like you aviary. You know, right. It just you can't is what classify it, is. it. And every time you go in there, there's something new and exciting. So and and uh, you, I always say this, and I still haven't been there. And I went there two months ago, maybe. But every time I'm there, I think, I, why don't I come here more yeah. often? When I when I have those question marks coming yeah. out of my head, that should be the first thing. Go to the A's and yep. start there. Yeah. It's always, Acadia, like I said, there's Aviary. always a surprise there for me. The service is really terrific. And the wine list, I think it's small, but it's really well chosen. So that's that's high on my list. Um, in terms of newer places, I know they're not brand new anymore, but I've been to Kachka a number of times, mm-hmm. and I really enjoy that. It's different. Um, I think my Ukrainian grandmother is probably kind of, you know, sending some positive vibes there to get me over there. But I'm really looking forward to see. I've only been there in the, over the winter, so I'm really interested to see what their seasonal change is as it gets into spring and summer. Uh, I'm kind of looking forward to that. Um, if I've got chef friends in from out of town, I usually take them to Ox. Uh, mm-hmm. There's enough time to get there. Um, you know, that's always that's always uh, you have to go hungry, but it's always always a terrific meal. Um, and Clyde Common, I mean, you know, they I think for as as long as they've been around and as solid as they are, I think they're a little bit under the radar. 
um, just because so many other people are getting pressed these days. But and they've had a few chef changes in the last. Uh, yeah, but few the first. Yeah, but the you know they they went through uh, somebody in the blink of an eye and then promoted their Sioux back into that space. And I think it it you know it it leveled out fairly Who quickly that? once Do that you... happened. I know, I know his Twitter Sorry. handle, but Sorry I can't remember you on the... his name. We'll put it out there. Yeah. Someone, someone, someone answer it. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. I I had was aware of, but don't don't know yeah. offhand. What about so uh, bagels breakfast? What about breakfast? Where do you where? That's a tough one because you know, some... I don't go out to breakfast a lot. Um, and when I do, I just tend to like you know two eggs over easy and you know bacon and hash browns kind of stuff. I mean, I love Fuller's, which is right in their neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, I don't, you know this whole brunch thing. I don't. I don't get. I don't get waiting ninety minutes in line for something you could make at home in ten minutes. I'm yeah, not, well, not really. You can't make the stuff that John Gorham. I'm not talking about shakshuk and stuff like that. But right. it seems like every place that throws out a brunch thing, and I don't grudge it to them. It's great for their business, but I don't go out to it. I just. I just. I'm not. A, I'm not. A, I don't go out for breakfast. My breakfast tends to be pretty simple at home too. It's fruit. It's yogurt. It's cornflakes. Oh, well, that's, that's bagels. Good. Yeah, that's, yeah <laughs> I, I know a good place to get them. Yeah. Um, so, and you're out in West Lynn. You I know, live in I, West Lynn. I lived in uh, Lake Oswego for a few years, and every time I mentioned that to someone, they looked at me as I was from a foreign country. And I would imagine you get a little of that in West Lynn. But more importantly, where is a good place to eat out there? There you go. That's the yeah. answer. Yeah. <laughs> not a I, lot. I don't remember yeah. a lot. Um, there's a, there's a very good Thai place. I said technically that's in Lake Oswego, Dang's Thai Kitchen. Oh, I love Dang's yeah, Thai Kitchen. Yeah, they're they're technically in Lake O, but they're five minutes from my house. So, so you take there. 34 to work. 43. Yeah. I mean, 43, yeah, yeah. yes. That was one of the things that first attracted me to this area, just the concept of going up and down that, high, that, mm-hmm. that highway once in a while. So do you get – you – you read a lot. Mm-hmm. How do you get the time to read, and what are you reading lately? Um, I get the time right before bed because typically my mind is going 100 miles an hour, and if I don't read at least a few pages, I can't get to sleep. Um, I just read a book called uh, Viper Pilot, which was uh, a memoir written by uh, the gentleman who basically was in – and founded the Wild Weasels. I don't know if you have, those are those are the, the the fighter jets that go in before action starts in a hot zone, and they find the missiles. They basically, you know, they're the bait for the missiles, and then they do the anti radiation so that they can they can uh, destroy those. So that was really fascinating because he saw a lot of action in both Gulf Wars, and so that was a really interesting memoir. Um, was a, Brian Williams up with him at all? <laughs> he was. <yeah. laughs> can you believe that? I mean, come on. How do you? That, that's. I uh, I uh, I like Brian Williams. I'm sad to see it. I'm I'm happen. sad to see it. I didn't feel either way about him, but you know, it's so obvious what was going on. You either, you don't remember whether or not your helicopter was shot down. Yeah, and no. especially if you're a journalist. That was a big one. Yeah. I was having a conversation with a friend the other day, and the. Um, and he said, you know, there, it's common knowledge. We all kind of d- invent stories in our heads and mm-hmm. they become real after a while. Not mm-hmm. through anything. We're not trying to fool anybody. It's just it's human nature. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. that one, I thought, yeah, no, you can't say I was the guy who got shot yeah. down and not be yeah. not having. That um, was kind of strange, yeah. especially for a guy in his position. So that's the book I just finished. The book I just started is uh, Heather Arndt Anderson, who lives right here in Portland. Yeah wrote a book called Portland, a food biography. Uh, and I'm about three chapters into that. Um, right, I'm right about into the uh, kind of trapping days, uh, 1850s. 
and it's fascinating. Oh, it goes that far back. Oh, it goes back to uh, the Chinook and, and the Native Americans, yeah, and, and kind of their food traditions. Uh, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. Uh, it's called Portland, a food biography. It just came out about a month or two ago. Uh, so that's the one I'm reading now. Do you ever watch uh, Oregon Experience on OPB? Yeah. Fa- fantastic. Yeah, they just terrific. had a story of underground Portland and all the stuff that went on here was pretty crazy you know, to I don't, read where we are. Uh, you, know, you know, not to bring it back to Bowery, but I'm going to. You know, we're located in Old Town, and we've named our sandwiches after those Old Town Portland characters. Uh, so we did a lot of research into the history of the area to come up with that. And so, you know, our sandwiches are called the Dan Fremont and the William or the John Fremont, the Dan Burnside, the William Ladd, you know, it's, it's all people who built the Portland back in the day. And it was really kind of fun going back and doing that research and coming up with those names. So do the names, did you s- t- try to marry them with products that they may be associated with? In a few cases where we could, like I just, uh, two or three months ago, I, I, uh, I actually wrote down the family eggplant, eggplant Parmesan recipe. Mm. And we have that available. Someone now just asked me where to that. get a good eggplant parm. At, that was, eggplant that was part parm. of the shrimp scampi there discussion. There you go. At at, uh, at Bowery, you can get one. So we 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 found a uh, we found an Italian immigrant called Giuseppe Arata, mm-hmm. who actually owned the first liquor store in Portland. So you know we there was an Italian connection there. Um, our you know we make our own pastrami and we have a Reuben, and so we did find a, somebody who was called Reuben Nevius was actually his name, so we named it after him. Oh, fantastic. So where we, where, we, where we find the connection, we can. But And I'm glad we got this podcast all the way around to where we could find a good eggplant parm sandwich. Come on by. At Bowery. So. It's the family recipe, which for the, for the first time to my knowledge in three generations, it's actually in writing now. So you, it can be replicated. Are you making the roll yourself? No, it's on a bagel. What are you talking on a bagel? about? Oh, it's on a right. Well, I <laughs> we guess cut it into round. It's so cool. Oh, I didn't even, you know, I just thought maybe you were making sandwiches that weren't on bagels. No, I mean, no, no. That's fantastic. Well, we'll get down and try it. And, Please do. Uh, Let me know when you're coming down. I will be down soon. And uh, thanks so much for bringing me my little Bowery Bounty today. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, Michael. Thank you both. Right the Fork is recorded in the beautiful studios at Alpha Media and expertly sound engineered by Court Johnson and produced by me, Heather Jones. If you want to find us, we are on iTunes and Stitcher and SoundCloud. We love ratings and reviews, so thank you to those who have done that, and please, we hope you'll continue to do so. You can find us at portlandfoodanddrink.com and portlandfoodadventures.com, and of course, right at thefork.com, discoverportland.net, and now at foodcartsportland.com. Lots of great places to find us. We're also on Twitter, Food Podcast PDX, and of course, Facebook as well. Also on our website, we now have a donate button. So if you enjoy the podcast and want to see it continue, please donate and thank you so much.